John chapter 1. As we think about the gospel of John, John is going to immediately call us to make a decision. And you've probably been in situations like that or family members of yours have been in situations like that. That's not the right slide. Um, while we wait for the right slides, I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, perhaps you have received an email um, from somebody that's in a different country promising you uh, that you will make uh, lots and lots of money if you would just promise to uh, send them your bank account numbers. And they will transfer the money because they can't do it with their accounts. Uh, but if you would give them your bank account numbers, they will transfer their money through your accounts and they'll give you 10% cut or something like that. And uh, it's kind of like, uh, no. That's, that's always the right decision. You say no, that's a scam. Okay. Um, but something maybe more serious, you've probably been in the doctor's office or had a family member in the doctor's office, and the doctor comes to you and says, unfortunately, I have to tell you that you have cancer or you have a heart disease or you have diabetes. And it, it calls for an immediate response. It's not something where we go, well, I have cancer. I'll take care of it, you know, three or four years down the road. I, I don't really care. I'm not going to come in for any more checks. I'm just going to see what happens over the next couple of years. That's, that's not how we respond. And that's how we're supposed to approach John chapter 1. Let's read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, and then we will look at the text in more detail. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received in grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has seen God in any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us and that you call us to make a decision, either to remain in a state of rejecting you or to turn to you and receive you as our Savior. We pray that you would use our time to encourage and to strengthen and to challenge us to see if we are in you or not. In your name we pray, amen. John introduces with John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, but John states his purpose very clearly for us in John chapter 20, verse 31. And John states his purpose very succinctly. He says, the purpose for my book is, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And so John is introducing this same idea, that there is life, that there is hope, that there is light through Jesus. And the point is to introduce you to the whole book, but even in his introduction, John, the evangelist, can't help but call you and request you to make a decision based on what you hear. And so the big idea is that we would receive and rejoice in Jesus. That is what John wants us to do. He wants us to receive and to rejoice in who Jesus is. So John begins by pointing to Jesus, and as we learn who Jesus is, we are required to receive, either receive him or continue rejecting him. But in verses 1 through 4, he's going to tell us who Jesus is. Because just like I wouldn't come up to you and just tell you, hey, my wife is really a nice person. You should get to know her. If that's all I said about my wife or about one of my college professors or somebody that you don't know, um, I don't know your wife. I don't know your college professor. I don't know your coworker. So why should I interact with them? Who are they? What have they done? Why should I want to know this person? So John begins, and he starts right at the very beginning. He says, I'm going to, in a succinct, very quick way, tell you who Jesus is. And after I tell you who he is, I'm going to require that you make a response to who he is. And so who is Jesus? John begins in verse 1, and he says he is the eternally preexistent one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word. God, before creation was, existed. But he goes on and he says he was eternally in relationship with God. And so you see him say, and the word was with God. The idea is that he was actually face to face with God. He was in direct communion with God. Something that me and you can't have. We can know God only through Jesus Christ. But we never get to actually know him in this intimate way where we're sitting across from God face to face and get to talk about all the things that him and Jesus got to talk about. And so he says he has an intimate, personal relationship with God. And so you should want to know this Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Because if he'd stopped there, you might think, 
Well, he's like a created being that was always created, and he's always been in fellowship with God. So maybe he isn't really God. But John says, no, Jesus actually is God. And the word was God. Jesus is God. So we have a preexistent God who's always been in communion with God the Father. But he's also the creator, verses 2 through 3. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So he is the one that through him, everything was made. And everything was made for him. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, we're not going to turn there. But we learn that he is the one who holds all things together. And so this world keeps ticking. This world continues functioning the way it is and the way it's supposed to because he created it. It was created for him, and he holds it all together. He keeps it going the way it's supposed to. But he doesn't stop there. In verse 4, he finally tells us that Christ is self-existent. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We need lots of things. My daughter needs even more than I need. She's continually letting us know that she wants her diaper changed or she wants food or she wants the lights off or we don't know. She just cries until she stops. Um, but she needs things. I need things. Okay, I, I can't just continue to exist. So I have to work so I can get money, so I can go to the grocery store, so I can pay my rent, so I can provide transportation. I am very needy. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are very needy people. We need lots. But Jesus is not needy. He has self-existence. He has everything he has and needs. And because he is the light, he is the one who shines light into the darkness. And that's where you begin to see John is beginning to make a transition. He's told us who Jesus is. But this light is shining into the darkness in verse 5. And there is a response that must be made. Will we accept Christ's gift? Or will we continue to stay in a state of rejecting him? You see, you are born in a state of having rejected Christ. He's going to develop that in more detail in a couple of verses. And we don't like to think that way. But that is the truth. My daughter is in a state of having rejected Christ. Now, I believe that God's grace will cover uh, infants' um, sin and state of rejection, and God will save that infant if the infant dies before coming to a saving knowledge. But if she gets older and can understand the gospel and continues to have not received Christ and stays in that state of rejection, there is nothing in her that changes. She didn't go to a state of rejection when she turned 10 or whatever, or 7 or 5 or 4. Whenever she actually understands the gospel, she didn't change to a state of rejection. She was in that state. And so, in verses 5 through 13, John tells us that there is a response that is necessary. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3 discusses our natural state. And the fact that it is not one that naturally seeks God, but that it is in rebellion to God. 
Verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's where we are before we receive Christ. And it's interesting. Verse 5 says, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Most people do not understand the gospel, and they don't respond to it in a way that leads to life. But it's interesting also in verses 6 through 8, and then you see it once again, he talks about it in verse 15, that Jesus has a witness who came to testify to the coming light. Verses 6 through 8. There is a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Isn't it interesting that Jesus, we would all agree that Jesus was probably the greatest witness that ever walked the earth, but he actually saw it right in God's eternal plan to have John the Baptist come and bear testimony to him before he came. It's interesting that Jesus would do that. And if Jesus saw it necessary to send a witness to come ahead of him and to proclaim him as the Christ and to point to the need to believe in him and through him have eternal life, then isn't it necessary that we be involved in witnessing, isn't it necessary that we take time out of our weekly schedules, out of our daily time, to seek to disciple those who are not in Christ? Verses 6 through 8 then introduce to us there are witnesses. And you might not have John the Baptist come to you, and you might not even have um, all of us come to you and directly tell you the gospel message. But if you're sitting here, you are sitting under the witness of John and me. And so you are called to make a response as well. And John talks about the two different responses. The one is to remain in your current state, which Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 describes. We were just dead in our trespasses and sins, and we were not living for God. Or we can choose to receive Christ. John begins by describing those who have chosen to remain in a state of rejecting Christ. Verses 10 through 11. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. It's interesting. My nature is that if you don't respond to me right. I don't get mad. I get even. If you've seen the movie Swan Princess, I grew up with a household of three sisters. So uh, watching movies like Swan Princess that are kind of girly was uh, part of um, my upbringing. Okay? Uh, Rothbart is keeping the princess uh, in captivity. And he's singing a song about 
how he's not going to allow Odette, the princess, to go see Derek, the guy that she likes. And he says in his song, vengeance is what I believe in. I don't get mad, I get even. And that's not what Jesus does, though. Jesus has sent all these prophets that came before John. John wasn't the first witness. All the books of the prophets are there to bear witness, to testify who Jesus is. Jesus came to his own people. He didn't come to the Native Americans. He didn't go to the Chinese. He went to Israel, his own people. And his own people rejected him. And yet he still offers them life. But they rejected it. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 talks about us being made alive. Because we have to be made alive. We'll read verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And then he goes on, he talks about how he's raised us and he's seated us as well. But that's what's necessary for us to leave the state of continual rejection. If you leave today without making a decision to respond to Christ, you've made a decision to reject Christ still. Jesus talks through John about receiving him, though, as well. And what does he say about receiving Jesus? What does it mean to receive Jesus? How do we go about that? And here's a couple of things that you need to know about Jesus and about yourself. You need to understand your own sin and the fact that it separates you from the one true and holy God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 makes it very clear to us that our sin separates us. It's a barrier between us and God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In and of yourself, without Christ's work on your behalf, you are separated eternally from God. You need Christ to come into your life and to make you alive, as he says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. But we also need to understand how to be restored to God. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, we see Paul tell Timothy about this. He says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The only way that we can be restored, that we can receive Christ, is through Christ. We have to realize that he came, he lived a sinless, perfect life. And then he raised again. And when we trust his finished work, we have life. But then we also have to place our confidence in his finished work. It's not enough that Jesus just died. It's okay to know that. It's good to know that. But that has to be your source of hope. That's what John wants us to do. He says... But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. And it's not just a head knowledge. It's actually placing your faith in Christ as the source, as the only hope that you have to avoid this continual state of rejection. 
already talked about this, but he died on the cross and was buried and has risen from the dead. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. John goes on, though, and he talks about the fact that this isn't something that you and I can in some way conjure up or that something else could accomplish for us. In verse 13, he says, Who were born of blood, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not enough to be born into a home that goes to church. It's not enough to have your parents really, really want you to be saved and to pray for you regularly that you would receive Christ. It's not enough that you would uh, become a member here. It's not enough that you would tithe. I don't actually believe in tithing. I believe in grace giving. But none of those things can accomplish anything for you. You have to be called by God and respond to God's calling. And when you make that personal decision for yourself, then you are a child of God. So you are responsible to respond to God's calling. It's a personal decision. Your parents, your bloodline doesn't accomplish it. The will of a nation, a nation can set up a state church, but that doesn't accomplish it. And your own parents' desires can't accomplish it. It's a personal decision. And John wants us to make a decision. He's introduced us to who Jesus is. He said, this is Jesus, the eternally preexisting one, the one who's had fellowship with God, the one who is God, the one who has created all things, the one who is self-existent, has life in himself, offers to us life, offers to us eternal life. And it is our choice to either accept the call that he offers or to continue in a state of rejection. But John doesn't stop there. He's introducing this whole big topic of who Jesus is. And he goes on and he tells us of the blessings that we have in Christ. And we should rejoice in those blessings. And those blessings are found in John chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received grace and for, for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And so Paul, or John, presents four different blessings that we should rejoice in as believers. And the first one is in verse 14. We have seen God's glory. And the word became flesh, God. Who already had glory. We looked at a passage in Sunday school that talked about God having glory with the Father. He did not need to come down to earth to be in this world, to live a sinless life, to go to the cross, to be buried and then raised again in order to establish Jesus as a God of glory. He already had glory. Yet he chose to come and become a man. 
and live among us. And in doing so, we were able to see God's glory. And that's what John records for us. He records for us God's glory. And so if you have received Christ, if you have placed your faith and your trust in his finished work, you and I are able to see God's glory through the book of John. And that should be something that we rejoice in. God can now be known. Jesus, not the law, justifies us. And that's how we know God. So he talks about the law. And he talks about the Father. And that we have grace. And that really picks up a lot more in the following verses. In verses 16 through 17. But he goes on. And he says, that we also are able to understand his preeminence. The fact that Jesus is first place. That's in verse 15. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John's witness, John's testimony, wasn't simply that a great person is coming. John's testimony, John's witness was, He's above me. He's before me. He's more important than me. He's more important than you. And because who he is, and the fact that he's revealed himself, we must make a response. Either we respond by rejecting him and staying in that state, or we respond by receiving him and becoming a child of God. John's purpose was to testify about Jesus, the greater one. That is who Jesus is. And we can rejoice in that as believers. But we can also experience his grace. Verses 16 through 17. And of his fullness we have all received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God's grace is available to all who have believed. And it is available from the fullness. You have the ability to know God to the fullest degree. And what he's saying is, Moses provided us with the law code. And that was very glorious. When Moses went in and looked at the back of God's face, Moses couldn't look at God's glory. But when he came out, his face shone so much that the children of Israel could not look on him. That's how much glory was in the Old Testament. Was in the Old Testament law that Moses received. And yet when John talks about that, and when John talks about Moses and what Jesus has brought in comparison, he says it pales in comparison. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace upon grace what we have is greater, and we should respond as such. It should affect how we live, whether it be how we give, how we serve, how we minister to one another. The fact that we have God's grace working in and through us should change the way we live. But we're also able to know God the Father. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father he has declared him. Through Jesus, God the Father is personally known. 
Without Jesus, you and I cannot know God. But now, because it is possible for us to receive Christ, it is also possible for us to have an intimate, personal relationship with God the Father. It's interesting. John begins by saying, this is who Jesus is. The word is Jesus. And he reveals Jesus to us in verses 1 through 4. And then at the end of his introduction to the gospel, in verse 18, he says, Know Jesus, know God. God is revealed through Jesus. You can't have one without the other. So that brings us to the so what section. How does this impact our lives? What does this call us to do? Revealing Jesus to others is our daily responsibility. We should be involved in revealing Jesus, and we should be excited about it. That's how John is. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. John just, in very succinct, summarized fashion, tells us so much about who Jesus is. Jesus is the eternally preexistent one. He was before creation. He was with God. He was in communion. He is God. He is the creator. And he is self-existent. And because of who he is, we must receive God's gracious gift through Jesus. To sit here and to not admit our need is to reject him. And it's to stay in that state. And that means a crisis eternity for you. If you're sitting here and you're like, this is all very interesting. And I think maybe I need to know more, but I'm not really sure what I need to know. Talk to me after the service. I'd be happy to come over to your house and to explain it in more detail. Okay? But then we also are supposed to rejoice in the blessings of knowing Jesus. We have seen God's glory. We are able to to not only see his God, God's glory, but we're able to understand his preeminence. We're able to experience his grace. And we're able to, through his son, know God the Father. God the Father is now revealed to us as well. And we, we should rejoice in that. And as I did in Sunday school, I'm going to challenge you. Who are you telling the good news of Christ to? Are there people in your life that you are seeking to share the message of Christ with? Hopefully there are. Hopefully you have neighbors. Hopefully you have coworkers that you can think, these are people that I am actively pursuing to seek to bring to Christ. And if there aren't, that means you need to make a list might just be one or two people, but you need to make a list and seek to bring people to Christ. I'm also going to encourage you and invite you to join me in prayer that our church would see five individuals come to Christ over the next nine months. Okay. John's gospel is written that we would believe and that by believing we would have eternal life. And so it's not appropriate for us to sit here and simply Listen to something that we all profess to know, 
should be our desire that we would see others come to know the message of Christ. And so I would encourage you, as you go to the Lord in your prayer time, as we come on Wednesday evenings and we spend time in prayer, I would encourage us to make <clears throat> this an important aspect of our prayer, seeking to show Christ to others. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the ability to um, know you. We pray that those who are here who may not know you, that they would come to a saving knowledge of you and that they would uh, not be scared or frightened by the thought of asking for help, but that they would uh, do that and that they would be able to rejoice in the blessings that come through knowing you. And in your name we pray, amen.